Into Your Head from Newsburp.com, Episode 2. There now follows an opening theme tune. It's the Newsburp Podcast. Welcome to the Newsburp Podcast. We're so determined not to pay any royalties. We're making all this up. Welcome to the Newsburp Podcast. This is the Newsburp Podcast. Blah, 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 dot whatever. Now, of course, here at newsburp.com, we're not just here to entertain and stimulate you, we're here, we're here to change the world, and that's why I need to talk to you about eyebrows. Now, of course, in the old days, uh, anything that, that went went wrong in the world was, was frowned upon by our parents' generation, and, and my, my own father used, used to frown upon, t- upon things whenever he felt the need. He, he would get, but not being well endowed, endowed in the eyebrow area, he would take out his frowning pencil and, and draw himself some extra eyelashes and eyebrows on, on his face, and then he would frown upon things. And t- that's why I, I, I turned out pretty well, well brought up young man. I, I've never done any, anything terrible in my life, and, and I turned out okay. Now, sadly, um, a, a lot of more macho men... Uh, in the in the 50s and 60s, felt emasculated by the fact that they didn't have very large eyebrows, and, th- and therefore they they would they would hide themselves away and, and not frown upon anything because they they were embarrassed, they they were afraid that the people would think less of them if they if they um, drew attention to their um, lack of eyebrows, and as a result of this, um, young young people just start to get away with things, and that's that's really why why things have degenerated to the way they have today. Um, you remember in in the movie uh, Clockwork Orange, um, the 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 young the young courier who who's at the centre of the film uh, attacks a woman and an old lady, and and her husband sits there standing idly by while he does so and and being helpless. Now that, that man had virtually no eyebrows at all and that's why he felt he could do nothing. And you, you, similarly you'll remember in, in Taxi Driver, a film in, in which Robert De Niro plays a, a man who, who goes off the rails completely and and well, well, he, he thinks he's doing something about the world, and, and his that, that film was was produced by uh, Martin Scorsese, who has absolutely massive eyebrows. So, so it, it really uh, uh, that 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 film confuses me. Um, I, I think you have to you have to take it that he he means well, and that, and that the Robert De Niro character is in fact trying to do something good about the world. Um. um under the example of of the bushy eyebrowed uh, Scorsese. Now I've I just noticed that I'm recording this on on a sound file that I've labelled fish. Now I think I did that around a week ago when I had an, an idea involving fish a bit for this podcast. And and let me just try to remember what it was. Well, there was definitely fish involved somewhere along the way, anyway. And um, I've all, I've always felt felt a bit weird about about fish. Um, you know. You serve out fish to someone on on the plate, and you think you're doing them a favour, and and they they go on and start. They, they they love that. They tell you they love that fish that you've served them because it doesn't look like a fish or taste like a fish or smell like a fish. That that's the that's that's how they that's how they measure a good fish dish if it's not like fish uh, at all. Uh, um, 
People are quite weird about that. Um, if, if you serve someone a fish that looks like a, a dish that looks like a, a cow's head, um, they're going to go completely stark raving mad. You know, if, even though they, they wanted cow, they they asked for beef or whatever the hell you call cow's meat. But you, you give them a cow's head, it's the, the most pure part of a, a piece of cow's meat they could possibly ask for. You can tell by looking for it. It's, for, uh, it's definitely not some sort of fake meat made out of nuts and vegetable vegetables or something. And it's definitely um, a part of a cow's carcass, but no, they'll, they'll go mad to say no. That's that's not what I wanted at all. I, I don't want my my dead meat to look like uh, a dead animal that that's being extracted from. I, I, that gives me enormous feelings of, of guilt and and makes me feel like I shouldn't be eating the damn stuff at all. And that's that's really not the way I want to feel when when I'm eating meat. I mean, if I go into McDonald's, they'll they'll give me um, two two pieces of of meat that. that but very obviously, we're we're sliced off the the round heels of a cow, and I don't want my meat, I don't want to be able to tell where my meat came from. So I I don't go into McDonald's. I don't, I don't buy them double burger things anymore. They're they're absolutely just they taste like shite anyway. And they 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 put this ketchup on them that's obviously made of, of blood and sweat and God knows what else the staff put in into this into this stuff. Although, although it, it does taste nice, admittedly, everything at McDonald's tastes absolutely fucking gorgeous. That's that's the problem. You get these these chips that that were apparently made by five year olds in a sweatshop in Thailand who, who've who've had to to cut the the skin of the potato chips off off their own legs and roll them up into cigars of some sort which you have to test by smoking them so they, they get lung cancer straight away and uh, and that's how that's how they make french fries for these fast food places uh, according to um a couple of films i've seen a couple of documentary films and um, but but they still taste nice and i can't help it. I, I like the damn things and I, and I want to go there and eat them and especially the milkshakes even after finding out what what they're made from but by the by the young boys i, I, I still I still drink them, and yeah, it's it's a it's a very funny situation. This this whole fast food thing, it's it's almost like a, a situation comedy of sorts. Although, although I've I've always thought it's, it's quite lazy of television writers to use such a vague, non-committal term as situation comedy. I mean, anything can be described as a situation. I mean, a, a guy sitting down and writing a situation comedy—that's a situation, and a guy sitting down and watching it is a situation. So you, you've you've pretty much made the sitcom before you even start. And um, Shakespeare, of course, never never really got the hang of comedies. He, he wrote stuff like *A Comedy of Errors* and all these things about kings with Hal and Falstaff, who, who were supposedly funny. You didn't get one single laugh when when, when people read them in in school classrooms on a Monday morning in November to to a, a group of eight-year-olds I, I remember about back in school trying to get a laugh out of these damn plays and I, I just couldn't um, I, I had a st- had a stab at writing a Shakespeare sonnet myself, and, and I, I did pretty well, I have to say. Um, mainly because I, I didn't try to deviate from the Shakespearean style. I, I, well, well, I, I, inst- but instead of of just trying to imitate Shakespeare, um, I, I made it completely different from from a Shakespeare sonnet, as as you're about to see. But I, I, I kept to the Shakespeare theme by writing her about Shakespeare, so it can still be be called a Shakespearean sonnet, and 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 that's. That's that's how I managed to to, to get to get to master uh, the Shakespearean style of writing, and uh, here, here it is. It's it's absolutely fantastic, if I say so myself. Um, read by Joanne Farrell. Oh Shakespeare, alas, we knew him so well. His name wasn't Florence or Gabrielle, a prince among poets, a beautiful nonce. We don't agree when they say he's a ponce. 
He wrote all those plays, that great English bard. He even promoted a new word, bastard. Oh, snigger we did when we read it in school. But everyone knew inside, Bill was no fool. He wrote ten-line poems, he called them sonnets. They used to be longer, but were eaten by pets. His dog, you see, grew hungry through neglection, feeding forgotten, built deep in reflection. Some say it's cruel to call her a dog. But his wife was no beauty, a bit of a hog. No wonder he spent his days knee-deep in literature to avoid seeing that terrible creature. O Shakespeare, O Shakespeare, wherefore art thou? Or to use the vernacular, where the hell are you now? Buried in clay in a big wooden coffin. Because nobody noticed when you started coughing. Now, straight after that, I wrote that things were going so well, and, and Joe Farrell, who I haven't, hadn't even met at the time, had, was reading my poem so perfectly, uh, uh, despite me having never met her or not, or not known her, I, it just instilled me with confidence, and straight away I, I wrote another non-Shakespearean poem, and here it is. Central heating's overrated, said the salesman as he baited. Two new buyers for his fires, electric ones, they're powered by wires. Try these melons, said the seller, forcing them on Mrs. Weller. Two a pound, there's nothing cheaper. Others' prices are much steeper. Try some of this, the pusher whispered. It's re- it'll really get you withered. Free this time until you're netted. No doubt you'll have had them vetted. Buy a friend who knows these things. He'll tell you that they'll give you wings. He'll look quite a bit like me, except disguised with toiletries. He'll entice you back to me. That's when I can up my fee. Ha ha, this job, it's such a bliss. Perhaps I shouldn't tell you this. Now, the sound on the following segment is atrocious, and, and that's because of wind. Now, sorry about that, but uh, Joanne made me a very large breakfast and all the sausages and things, and, and as a result, I had, I had the patio door open, and, and the breeze was coming in against the microphone, so the, the bad sound is wind. Uh, the, the other sound is the sound of, of uh, Joanne sanding down a bookcase. Uh, that, that's... That's, um, if, if you don't like this, like listening to, to my girlfriend restoring furniture, if you have some sort of problem with that, you can just feck off and listen to some other po- podcast. So anyway, the next few minutes, uh, excuse the sound quality. Now, as I record this, uh, I'm, I'm sitting at my patio door looking out at my uh, girlfriend, Joanne, who's interfering with a 200-year-old bookcase in, in some fashion or other. She, she's sanding it down, removing all of the decoration from it, which has been built up uh, by my mother over over the last couple of hundreds, uh, hundreds of years. And apparently she's, she's apparently she's going to release a new lease of life in it. Um, I'm, I'm quite an artistic person myself. I, I've just pe- been painting uh, Harry, Harry the Cat onto my two new wheelie bins beside the house number. Um, I feel it's, it's very important to have, have an identity to, with, to your uh, waste removal uh, apparatus. Um, as, as far as I'm concerned, if, if you don't if you don't have uh, something proper painted on your bins, then you, you just can't you can't expect to have any sort of a um, a proper outlook on life. Uh, as, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I, I remember my, my own father used to used to simply put the rubbish into an ordinary uh, plastic metal type bin with a, a lid on it and just cram it in until, until the the metal got all squashed. He couldn't fit the lid on anymore, and and it worked very well for many years. But but now we're we're in the the 21st century, and you have to you have to divide all your waste in 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 between into uh, different categories. You've got a bin for food, a bin for paper, a bin for empty bottles, a bin for dead cats and puppies, and of course you, you don't have to put that one out, they, they just they, they just decompose slowly and you can just leave it in the corner of the garden or, or in ha- halfway, halfway along a wall if you like. And 
no, that little interruption was was by my artistic uh, furn- furniture <laughs> restoring girlfriend Joanne, who 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 threw in the suggesting that 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 uh, <laughs> for fuck's sake. Okay, apparently I have to call her for my fiance, not my girlfriend. Now, um, th- it, what I was trying to say before, as interrupted twice, was that uh, you put you put the the dead cats and the puppies in in the bin out in the corner of the garden, <laughs> or you can. <laughs> Or you can put them, you don't have to put them in the corner, I was going to say, you can put them halfway along a garden wall, for example, in, in halfway along the, the back of the perimeter of the garden. And <laughs> Okay, after that, uh, yet another interruption um, uh, from from my girlfriend, who, who's being visually funny through, through the patio window there. Uh, I will try to continue with this uh, serious programme. Uh, well, unfortunately, we've lost two minutes now, and I had... I have to uh, edit the script and get this down so I get again within the half hour. Uh, so we have we have to move on now. Um, now of course the, the early wheelie bins back in the 16th century were weren't made made of plastic. Plastic hadn't been invented then, or, or hadn't been discovered, I should say, because it was it was very deep below the all the coal and the petrol and the stuff that, that we've we've now we've now used up in in the, in the last century or so since we started using cars and and then energy and efficient devices uh, like, like that. We, we've used up all the coal and, and the electricity and stuff that was buried under the ground in the sea uh, and we've used up the oil as well. And 